Okay, I'd like to welcome everyone tonight. Good to see you tonight. Everyone should have a paper and it uh, should be on your table. That'll be the notes for this evening. So again, welcome everyone. And if you uh, are missing a session or would like to review a session and go online to our website, you'll find both the notes as well as, uh, as, the, uh, as the file, the teaching, the recording. Okay, so tonight we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 2, and uh, I titled this Life Encounters Jesus, the Restoration. So we're taking a look at the revelation, the revealing of who Jesus is, why he came. So let's uh, take a moment and turn to the Lord in some prayer tonight. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So Father, we thank you tonight as we call us to be a people who gather to worship you, to welcome your word to our hearts. Father, we thank you for the sending of your Son. Like us in every way but sin, Jesus shared our sufferings and our joys, our hopes and our dreams. And yet he is like you in every way, too. From the very beginning, Lord, he always was. And he became the Word made flesh for us so that we may know the redeeming, restoring love that you have for us as a people. So tonight, Lord, we ask you that through this man who's paralyzed and made whole by Jesus, that we maybe see within ourselves also the calling that you give to each of us to open our hearts to the power of your love to save us, to redeem us, to free us, to make us whole. May you break open the scriptures tonight to us to bring fresh revelation to our hearts as we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Before we get started, um, what I'd like to do is turn on your back, the back side of the paper where the questions are. We're going to do the questions a little bit different. We have five questions this week. Instead of every group taking the questions, okay, we're going to, uh, how about if we do this, um, Joanne, your group will have first two questions, one and two. Gia, your group, questions three and four. Uh, Diane, questions five and one, Okay. Okay, Stefan, questions two and three. Okay, this group here, questions uh, four and five. All right, then way back, uh, Marianne, one and two. Dick, your table, uh, three and four. Uh, Gary, uh, I say five and one again. Okay, and Sean, your group would be two and three. All right, so the way we'll do that is that when we have question one, we'll get all the responses from the different tables with question one. Okay, great. Again, good. thank you for being here tonight. Good to see you. And again, this uh, teaching on life encounters Jesus, the restoration, is really going to focus upon the nature of who Jesus is and what he's like and why he came and why there was a need for his coming. So let's take a look. Actually, we're going to begin. The story is going to revolve around an encounter with Jesus in the house of Peter, but we're actually going to begin with Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. It's kind of a preparation, if you would, for that, for this story. 
Mark's gospel, unlike any other gospel, is kind of reveals Jesus right out of the gate, so to speak. There's no infancy narratives, no baby born in Bethlehem, no angels appearing anywhere. <laughs> just We just see Jesus grown up and ready to hit, hit the trail and ready to do the work that he's called to do. So verses 14 and 15, we'll begin there first. Now, John was arrested, and Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. Okay, so let's take a look here. Mark try to uh, begins to outline why Jesus came, and he says here uh, when John was arrested, it's kind of significant because John's passion, John being arrested, is uh, already overshadowing and even foreshadowing Jesus's passion. Something right from the beginning of Jesus's ministry, we see the passion already there. So, and Mark's gospel is, is really known for that. You can't get away from Jesus' passion. He can be healing and setting people free, and the passion is in the background. You know? it's just, just Mark wants us to never lose sight of why he came. So at the very beginning of his ministry, we see where the passion is present through the arrest of John. And then it says, preaching the gospel of God. The word for gospel means simply good news. Now, it's only good news if people are in trouble. Okay. You don't need good news if you're not in trouble. You, know, you ever try bringing good news to somebody who says, I'm fine. <laughs> Why do I need good news? You know, I'm fine. So good news assumes that there's an issue. Okay, there's a problem. And we're going to see what that problem is tonight if we look at the man that's paralyzed. Okay, and then if we look at next, it says the time is fulfilled. The word for time is, uh, we usually think of time as like, dated time, like today, October 1st, 2015. But actually, time in the scripture here and most places in the scripture is the Greek word for karos. It means time pregnant with divine intervention or divine opportunity. So it's, it's a moment in chronological time in which the Lord kind of opens the window and wants to break into a situation. It could be somebody's life. I'm sure we've all had those kind of experiences before where you say, God showed up in my life in a rather dramatic way, a very obvious way, that's a chaos moment for you, okay? So it could be, it could have been September 30th, 2015, and yet God seemed to show up in your life in a very significant way that altered your life in some way. That's a chaos moment. That's an encounter with him that altered how you are living, basically. Okay, so Jesus is saying, the time is fulfilled, Meaning the moment is now. And what is, what's, what's the moment? And he so goes on, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, kingdom is a very interesting word. It's the Greek word basileia. It just simply means rule or reign. Um, in the Old Testament, the prophets were expecting the kingdom to come. And they thought it would come through the Messiah. Uh, basically, they thought the Messiah in many ways would rule over the nation of Israel. Uh, Jesus uses the word kingdom in the exact same way, reign or rule, but he no longer, he didn't say it's coming, he says it's here now. That's a big difference. The kingdom is here now. The kingdom is here in the person of Jesus, in his words, in his teachings, and his deeds, the things he does. What's that mean? It means the reign of God is here now. Okay, so how is that going to be evident? Well, we're going to see in the story tonight, Mark chapter 2, where the kingdom is breaking into this man's life. The kingdom is the reign of God to alter and upseat another kingdom. 
the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. So here's, here's the thing. Jesus' kingdom has come to battle, if you would, against another kingdom. So it's good news if you're snared by some other kingdom. And then Jesus comes with his kingdom to set us free. And we'll see that tonight in the story of the man is paralyzed. And then what's he say? He says, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's in your midst. In other words, it's arrived. It's here. You don't have to be looking for it any longer. It's here in me. And then repent. Word for repent just simply means, it doesn't necessarily mean take a look at all your individual sins. It means stop doing about face with your life. Because something is breaking into your life that is, is really awesome and great. It's the kingdom and the reign of God who comes to alter your eternal destiny. So stop everything and do an about face. That's what the word repent means. Now, it, it may look at individual aspects of your life, but that's really not so much the emphasis. The emphasis is on an entire orientation of your life. That's, that's different from what it is now. Like the Ravens, the entire orientation of their, <laughs> their football team right now. That's an example of repent. <laughs> so it's, it's a, a total about face to embrace something that's breaking into your life now. So in other words, drop everything and welcome what's coming into your life now. In this case, it's in the person of Jesus. Okay? And then believe in the gospel. The word for believe simply means to... to uh, Welcome, it means to commit, it means to open your heart, it means to surrender your heart to the good news of Jesus Christ. All right, so the reason why I say all this is because this forms the backdrop for the story of the encounter with the man who is paralyzed in his encounter with Jesus. Because it's about the kingdom breaking into his life. It's about the kingdom breaking into his life that will alter his life in an eternal way, but also in a very present way now. Um, it's also about the good news that's breaking into his life. So with that in mind, let's turn now to Mark chapter 2. And this will start looking at, um, looking at the story of this encounter of the man who's paralyzed. So chapter 2, and it says here, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so they, there was no longer room for them, not even around about the door. He was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralyzed or paralyzed carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him when they had made an opening. They let down the pallet in which the paralytic lied. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned like this within themselves, said to them, Why do you question like this in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise up, uh, rise, take up your pallet and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet and go home. 
in verse 12, and he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God by, by saying, we never saw anything like this. Okay, so we're going to take a look at this. And the purpose of this series is to talk about the encounters that people have in the scriptures with Jesus and how their life was altered by that and how we can see our own life in the stories of these encounters and how the Lord wants to also come into our life the way that he came into their life as well. Okay, so let's take a look here, going back to the very beginning. And if you're following your notes in your outline, we're at number 2, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We're looking at called the power of the word. So Jesus states right from the beginning his purpose was to preach the word. That's why he came, to preach the word. Remember the word of the gospel, the word of good news. The word was confirmed by healing and setting people free. Remember, the kingdom came to upseat and to overthrow another kingdom, a kingdom of darkness that was infecting lives of men and women with sickness and disease, with sin, with brokenness of mind and body and spirit. So Jesus came preaching the word. That's the good news. Capernaum was his hometown, hometown in the sense of hometown base of ministry. So he made Capernaum the base of his ministry. So Jesus had a strategy with his ministry. He just didn't happen to fly by the seat of his pants. He actually knew what he was doing, where he was going, and he had to have a home base, and that base was Capernaum. So his operations came out of there. Um, and then it says here in verse 2, as they were gathered together, so there was no longer any room for them. So word had circulated about who Jesus was, and when he was in Capernaum, people came to the house. And it says here, uh, he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing a paralytic carried by four men. In the scriptures, the, the, um, the Hebrew word for word is davar, which means a force let loose. So when God's word goes forth, it doesn't return void, but accomplishes its purposes. That's what that word means. So think of it, think of God's word as not just simply something printed on a page. But think of it as a force let loose. It has an energy to it. It has a, has a, a power to it, if you would. And it, when it goes forth, it doesn't return void, but accomplishes something in people's hearts and minds. It does something. So a lot of times we, we understand the, a word to be more printed, or whether it be through an email or through a printed page. But the Hebrews understood the word to be more active, more engaging, more effective. We're going to see that in this, um, in this story tonight. Keep that in mind, because when we talk about sacraments, which we'll talk about a little bit tonight, we're going to see where the word that is effective, it does something, is very much key to understanding what a sacrament is. Okay. So, preaching the word, the force let loose. So, okay, and then it says here, they brought the paralyzed man carried by four men. And when they got near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him when they had made an opening. They let down the pallet in which the paralytic lie, and Jesus saw their faith. Now, this is a beautiful example of intercessory prayer. This paralyzed man couldn't do anything for himself. But four men, four friends of his, carried this man. Uh, literally, were going to great lengths for this man. Carried him, opened the roof so he could lower him down. They were willing to make a spectacle of themselves. They were willing to, to inconvenience themselves. They were willing to, to put themselves out on behalf of their friend. Now, that's really good friends, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have friends like that? 
And these friends were doing this through prayer in the sense of they were bringing him into the presence of Jesus. So that was prayer. Even though it was a very active kind of prayer, it was, very, it was prayer. So think of the power of intercessory prayer. When two more gather in the name of the Lord Jesus and they pray for somebody or some situation. Think about it when somebody, maybe yourself or somebody that you know, can't really pray well for themselves. Isn't it nice to have friends who will go to the Lord on your behalf and continually seek him for your situation and your needs? Intercessory prayer is very powerful because if it rides on the wings of love, just like it did here. These four men really loved this guy enough to inconvenience themselves and bring this man into the presence of Jesus. It was key to the miracle that was about to take place in this man's life. It was key to the encounter that was going to occur. But think about it with when a parish community can gather frequently in the course of a month and pray for the needs of that community. Think about what that means. Not just individually, but coming together corporately in, in groups of maybe two, three, four, or five, or, and praying and seeking God on behalf of the needs of individuals and situations. You know, what a difference that could make in a life of a community, but also the individual lives can be altered by that. All right, so Jesus saw their faith. What, what did he see? He saw their love for this man. They saw their, his, their willingness to go to great extent for this man. In other words, Jesus didn't see the mind being interrupted in the middle of his sermon. Okay. He didn't have a problem with that. Because what he saw was their love and what he saw was their faith. And that moved his heart in this situation. So think of the things that move the heart of Jesus. This love they had for this man and the faith to bring him into the presence of the Lord. And they went to a great extent to do that. So you might want to think about tonight, what are, the, what are the things you think you can do to move the heart of Jesus on behalf of somebody else? What do you think would move his heart with people in your life that you know are probably suffering, struggling, being challenged right now in some way? What can you do in relationship to them that would move the heart of Jesus on their behalf? So, okay, just something to think about. All right, so verse 5, Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is, by, this is something that probably took the man by surprise. I don't think he was expecting this. But actually, Jesus was hitting on a very uh, probably typical biblical theme, particularly in the Old Testament. And that is that sickness and disease is the result of sin in the world. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that this man committed a particular sin that led to a particular disease. It doesn't say that. But what it does say is that sickness and disease is in the world because of sin. In other words, sickness and disease wasn't part of God's plan for the human race. But it's here because of sin. So what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to the heart of the issue in this man's life. And that is that... There's a linkage between the fact that this man is physically broken and he's also spiritually broken as well. Scripture doesn't say exactly what it is that he's spiritually broken about, 
I mean, we obviously know what he looked like physically, so we know what that brokenness looked like. But we don't know physically or spiritually what it was. But it could have been maybe some unconscious guilt he was carrying. Who knows what it is? But know this, that spiritual brokenness, failure to receive forgiveness of sins, failure to be in a relationship with the Lord can cripple us spiritually, just like this man was physically crippled and paralyzed. Okay. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, this caught the attention of the scribes who were sitting there, questioning their hearts. Okay. So it seems like, and typically in Mark, there's always like Jesus doing something great for people, and there's somebody else in the crowd saying, grumbling about it. Okay. You always have this kind of give and take here, because Mark's whole point is that Jesus brings conflict. Jesus brings conflict. So if you want to be a Christian and avoid conflict and be a follower of Jesus is kind of like an oxymor- oxymoron. You can't, you can't escape conflict if you're a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus is naturally going to bring us into conflict. It's as good as given. Mark illustrates that for us. There's no way to escape conflict in this world by being a follower of Jesus. We're just, we're just going to meet it somewhere along the way. It can occur in the most casual relationships, friends, family, whatever. It can also occur in the larger culture that we live in. It's just going to happen. Mark wants us to know that because that's what happened to Jesus. Mark, more so than any other gospel, keeps showing us that Jesus brings the kingdom, sets people free, liberates them. People are blessed by his presence. Other people are irritated by his presence. And so here the scribes are saying to themselves, how can this guy forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. So that caught their attention. Ultimately, the blaspheming charge would be the charge that Caiaphas would throw up at Jesus in in his trial. All right. So who can forgive sins alone in verse 8? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, they questioned like this within themselves, said to them, why do you question like this in your hearts? In other words, Jesus read their mail. Okay. That's what he did. This is called a word of knowledge. We'll eventually talk about gifts of the Spirit, not in this series, but down the road in other seminars. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are many gifts, but one of the gifts the Lord gives is what's called a word of knowledge, which means knowledge that you didn't get through natural means, but knowledge in which the Lord imparts to our hearts and minds about a situation uh, or circumstance. The purpose of the knowledge is to be able to move the situation more in line with what the Lord wants. A lot of times in praying for the sick, for example, uh, the Lord will give words of knowledge. I remember, uh, I may have shared this story before, a situation where a person um, was having stomach issues and one of the team members that was praying for them stopped and said, did something happen about uh, a year ago or something that really affected you? Um, I remember one situation in which a person got even more specific than that and said, did you have an event with your mother back when you were like five years old that caused you to feel just very haunted by that and i remember the person saying yes that was a word of knowledge where'd the person get that knowledge from they got it from an impartation of the holy spirit that gave them that information what's the purpose of that it's to move that person's heart to be more open to what the lord wants to do so when jesus gave this word of knowledge to these scribes he wasn't trying to condemn them he wasn't trying to pick a fight with them He was trying to open their hearts to what he was doing at that moment. So they would be moved by that, so they would turn to him. 
and not and come out of their conflicting, hardening of their hearts. Jesus' intent is never to pick a fight with somebody. His intent is to move the hearts. He loved these guys, the scribes. He loved the Pharisees. Okay. Rise, take up your pallet, and walk. And then Jesus says, "By that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. Now, Jesus was in effect saying, I've come to do, to do two things. I've come as God to forgive sins. I've come also to heal the brokenness of the human race that affects them in both body and soul. So what's he saying here? He's saying that I've come to restore men and women back to what they were before the fall. Now, what do we see here in this? Let me just stop for a moment. What we see here in this is the foreshadowing of the sacraments of the church in reconciliation and anointing of the sick or, or healing, which would be part of that. So in other words, Jesus comes to forgive sins through a sacrament. He also comes to heal through a sacrament as well. Now, remember I said to you before that when the word of God goes forth, it doesn't return void, it accomplishes its purposes. So here is Jesus saying, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. Your sins are forgiven. They are words that have an effect in people's lives. Let me give you an example of that. You could be reading the scripture, reading, let's say, um, let's say reading this chapter here. And you're at home reading all by yourself, and something jumps off the page at you. Maybe when Jesus says, um, rise, pick up your mat, you think, well, what's that saying to me? It just jumps off the page and brings forth a memory of something that happened years ago that really hurt and offended you, and you've held on to that. It's kind of like paralyzed you in a sense. But now the Lord is saying, I'm freeing your heart of that many years later. How does he do it? He did it through that word in Scripture. It seems like jump off the page at you. And just kind of detach itself to your heart. And what did it do? It's now freeing you from that time, that moment, when you held on to or were affected by that, that situation that maybe hurt you, offended you, wounded you in some way. God's word is effective. In other words, it has an effect upon us at this moment. Now, you've, you've read probably the whole chapter, verses, 12 verses here, okay, I say but only one verse jumped off the page at you. Go back tomorrow, read the same thing, and nothing jumps off the page at you. <laughs> so what do we say here? It's saying that God's word, when we, our hearts are reading and seeking his word and open to him, can really have an effect in us. It can even go at something that happened years and years ago and bring it forth to liberate and free our hearts. So we mean when we say God's word is effective. Now let's take sacraments, for example. So what does the priest do in the sacrament reconciliation? He absolves you. I absolve you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We say at that moment that the, the not only the Lord, but the church says what the Lord has said, your sins are forgiven and you're free of them completely. What's that mean? That means it, that the word spoken is effective. What's he do in doing that? He usually stretches out his hand. You can't see that if you're on, if there's a, a grill between you, but generally he's stretching out his hand 
And the stretching out of the hand indicates the outpouring of the Holy Spirit who brings about the forgiveness of sins. And the priest lays hands lays his hands over the bread and wine at the altar. He speaks the words of consecration. He invokes the Holy Spirit and speaks words of consecration. We say that those words are performative, which means that those words have an effect on the bread and wine. In other words, they accomplish that which they are spoken. So, but they're accompanied with an action. What's the action? In, in the case of the bread and wine, the laying on of hands through the outpouring of the Spirit. It's a combination of the words spoken and a combination of the laying on of hands brings about what it says, the body and blood of Christ. Anointing of the sick. What's the priest do? He lays his hands on the person who's sick. He anoints the person with oil and speaks the words. You know, by the grace of the Holy Spirit and, and the love of God for you, you know, it brings about this healing in you. Okay, so what's, so what's taking place? Words spoken and the laying on of hands and the anointing brings about what it says. Healing taking place in you, body and soul. This is what Jesus did here. He spoke the word. In this case, he told the man to rise. That was the performative action. The combination of the word spoken and the man rising. So here's the basis of sacraments. What's required of you and me when we approach a sacrament? Faith. Faith that the Lord is present there speaking a word through that sacrament and through the actions is coming to encounter me at this moment. That's, what, that's what's happening at a sacrament. So when we come to receive the Eucharist, for example, then what do we do? We, we come saying that Jesus is present to, to nourish us, strengthen us, heal us in some way. And how does that happen? He does it through the word that's spoken over the bread and wine. And he does it through the action of the priests with the laying on of hands. And then I come forth to receive him present to me. So if we don't have faith in the word spoken or the actions of Jesus, then it's going to be difficult to really receive him when we come to the altar. If your hands are being laid upon you when you're sick, if we don't have faith that the Lord is actually working through that particular sign of the oil and the laying on of hands and the word spoken, it's going to be difficult to receive what the Lord wants to bring us. So sacraments are two ways that they're the Lord acting in our midst because he's bound to us to act. But then on our part, we come forth with an expectancy that we're going to encounter him through that which he's acting. Now, again, we have expectancy in all aspects of our life, right? Uh, you go to a game, a football game, for example. There's an expectancy. There's a sense of anticipation of a, your team scoring in some way, okay? particularly if they're driving down the field. Well, here at a sacrament, the expectancy is that the Lord will encounter me through, let's say, the anointing of the sick or through the sacrament reconciliation, through the signs and through the words that are spoken. Okay, so verse 12, he says he rose and then he took up the power. The word for rose here is the word that refers to new beginning for this man. The man had a new beginning. So there's a physical healing to the man, but there's also an inner liberation to his heart. And this man has a new beginning. So, what do we see here about Jesus? He comes as God, fully divine, 
to affect forgiveness of sins. And he does that through the words that he speaks. It has effect and has power over us. He comes also as a human being, fully human, to share in this man's suffering. That is, that he is this way broken because of sin in the world. He's broken interiorly and he's broken physically because of what's taking place in the world through our first parent's sin. And so Jesus shares in that man's suffering. Okay, so it's the same thing for you and for me in our life. In the midst of our brokenness, whether it be interiorly or physically, spiritually, relationally, Jesus comes as God to speak his word to us that will affect change. He also comes as a human, fully human to share in our suffering. take a look at your outlines here. Let's go to the page, the page, the back page. It says summary. It says the uniqueness of Jesus, the God-man, fully divine, fully human, reveals in his words and actions the action of God to restore the human race, body and soul. So in other words, Jesus came to restore men and women's lives, body and soul. Let her be the wages of sin is death, meaning that sin brings its consequences to the human race, body and soul. So in other words, sin brought consequences to the human race in terms of our bodies being broken, our hearts being broken, to sin affecting us on all those different levels. That's the wages of sin. And then let her see Jesus brings freedom to men and women from the, effect, from the effects of sin, physically, spiritually, and ultimately death. So in other words, Jesus comes to reverse what sin brought. So why is this important for us? Okay, so I think just a couple things and we'll, and we'll throw it open for discussion in your groups. One is that when we face situations in which people are broken in body, soul, or spirit relationally, that, that the Lord wants to come and change those situations, just like he did in the gospel here in chapter 2. And so, in other words, the Lord's heart is to change that which has been broken in people's lives. Um, so what's needed for that? You know, Well, actions of love towards that person, but also a ministry of prayer to that person as well. So think of our ministries then, okay, when we, when we intercede for people in situations. Think of it in terms of the Lord wanting to free men and women's lives. So we pray for them so they can be free. When we think of people that are going through relational issues and difficulties, if we intercede for them, we pray that the Lord would come and set their hearts free and to reconcile or to have breakthroughs in relationships so that they will, two people can see and hear each other in a way they couldn't before. Or when there was a wayward child in the family, we pray that the Lord would come and rescue that child and bring that child back. Right? When we're physically broken, we pray for healing. And when healing doesn't occur, we pray for strengthening that person's life so that their suffering can be taken to a redemptive level. So we want the Lord to come and to set free and heal and reconcile and break through in people's lives. And the reason for that is because he loves them. Simple as that. So it's his love that came and was motivating him 
for this man that's paralyzed. And it's his love that motivates the situation, wants to come and change the situations in people's lives. And when we're motivated by his love, then we want to see those situations change as well. There's a community in France called Emmanuel Community. It's a community that was born out of the charismatic renewal back in the 70s. It's now over 8,000 people strong. It's an amazing community. It consists of uh, priests, uh, uh, seminarians, married men and women, a single uh, men and women, consecrated men and women, you know, and they live in community, which means it's not common under the same roof, but they, they come together at least once a week to pray together. They share life together. They share many, many ministries. They're located also in different countries of the world. But it's based upon something very simple. That is, you get before the Blessed Sacrament and you adore the Lord. You get filled with his love, right? And then the second thing is you're moved with his compassion. And the third thing is then you want to go out and share that with others, with the broken, the sick, the lost. And this particular community has numerous ministries to all kinds of people, from marriages to the poor, uh, Pope's, Pope Benedict, I think, I know Pope Benedict, I'm not sure about Pope Francis yet, but Pope Benedict has asked them to organize many different conferences at Rome, for example, uh, and also in France um, because of their unique abilities and skills. Here's the point. And the, and the founder, Pierre Grisset, um, who's venerable now, I believe, uh, he said, it's very simple, get before the Lord and adore him in the Blessed Sacrament. And that's a community is very, very big on that. Be filled with his compassion, and then you have no choice but to go out and share that with others. You'll want to minister. You'll want to be involved with people's lives and know that the Lord can change people's lives. Because why? Because you hung out with Jesus before the Blessed Sacrament. You got his heart of compassion for a broken and suffering world. Simple secret, but yeah, that community has made untold effect upon people's lives because of that. Adoration, compassion, evangelism. Okay, let's go into your small groups and you have your questions. We'll take about 20 minutes or so to look at them.